Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to The Gold Derby Show on The Gold Derby Podcast Network. Andrew Garfield stars as Jonathan Larson in Tick, Tick, Boom and as Jim Baker in The Eyes of Tammy Faye. I'm David Buchanan with Gold Derby, joined by Denton Davidson of Gold Derby. Uh, Andrew, it's such a pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, I wanted to start with Tick, Tick, Boom and your experience on stage because Tick, Tick, Boom is uh, started as a stage musical and is all about the theater, obviously, as Jonathan Larson was uh, a composer. So I was wondering how your experience on stage um, in both Death of a Salesman and Angels in America really helped you kind of understand um, the world that Jonathan Larson worked in and lived in and helped you approach performing his work. Yeah. I mean, I'm a theater actor first and foremost, when I, I went, I studied in drama school in, in London at the central school of speech and drama and graduated when I was 20. And then I, I did theater um, for three years um, in, in London and Manchester and around the UK um, and I, I fell in love with, with theater and drama school and it, it kind of became, and even before that in high school, like it became my second home, um, maybe my first home, maybe my predominant home actually. And I felt most myself there. I felt most allowed to be my whole entire, I think that's what most people who engage in, in the theater feel. They suddenly feel like, oh, I don't, I'm not as alone as I thought I was. It's a real kind of community that you get jumped into. So, and then of course, you know, having done, started to, to do films and then kept my theater work going and my theater kind of mus muscles moving with Death of a Salesman and Angels in America, arguably two of the masterworks of the last century in terms of, you know, theater. It, 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 it when I, when I was introduced to John, John Larson and his work through, through Lynn and him asking me to come onto this project, it was like, again, just kind of being introduced to an old brother that I didn't know existed. Um, I felt so akin to him, even though I'm not a, a writer myself or a, a, let alone a musical theater writer, I felt like he already was alive in me somehow. Um, and there wasn't much interpretation I needed to do. It was more about just allowing the John in me to emerge and to come through. And, you know, there was another element that, that was interesting, which is a kind of a more kind of spiritual element of, you know, the, the energy of John and, and, and the kind of um, the essence of John and um, his spirit that obviously, you know, so when someone 
when someone has that much um, energy and inspiration and passion and impact on the world, it's and they 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 die at a young age at the age of thirty five as in in terms of the specifics of Jonathan's death. I think they leave. I remember when Heath Ledger passed away. He was in his late twenties, and we were doing the Terry Gilliam film together. And it's just a very impactful thing when such a great artist leaves us with at the height of their powers. And that's the same with John. And the, but but the 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 personal experience I had with with losing Heath was, you know, there's this excess amount of energy that gets left behind and a kind of um because there was so much more to do there was so much more to make there were so many more performances there was he was going to direct he was going to he was you know producing music he was he was starting a record label there was all of this creativity that was on the verge of of arriving and i think the same thing with john like so for me, it was, and for Lynn, it was like, how do we harness the energy of John and, and, and let it move through our set, let it be like cut a hole in the ceiling of every set that we were on and allow John to be that magical element that was moving through all of us. And most particularly myself, how do I open myself up so that actually, you know, say a prayer to John every morning and say, follow your impulses and I will I will be your vessel. Like, let me, let me help. Um, let me just serve you and, and, and how you want to, to live, to live again while the cameras are rolling. And it was a really kind of beautiful experience in that way. And the fact that we had Julie Larson, John's sister there with us as a producer and actually at the monitors a lot of the time was a, another kind of tremendous inspiration. And some of the scenes are direct recreations of footage of Jonathan, like the performance of Tick, Tick, Boom at the New York Theater Workshop. Where do you begin interpreting that material and how do you capture the spirit and essence of Jonathan as a performer, as well as the physicality he gave with each performance? Yeah, I mean, it, we have that mate. We have this amazing footage of, of John doing Boho Days, which was the original title of Tick, Tick, Boom, which went through lots of different permutations. And that was really key for me. And I would just kind of immerse myself in that footage. And of course I would pick up specific physicality things that I thought were kind of hooks and keys, but also again, as you say, a kind of energy and a kind of essence that you're looking to embody, capture, let move through you. And what was so clear to me is that he was singing and playing for his life and for the lives of everyone around him. And that I saw what he was doing in Tick, Tick, Boom as this very anti-commercial, you know, after the failure of Superbia, it was as if he had to reaffirm his own, uh, you know, it was all that, that song, Why? Like Tick, Tick, Boom feels like He's in that song. He's trying to figure out why he would carry on, how he would carry on, and if it's worth him carrying on, doing what he's doing. And it all felt like a ritual, like a very personal, sacred ritual of 
no matter if I'm playing to 5,000 people or 15 of my closest friends, this is what I have to do. And I am going to spend my time this way. So I think that's what Tick, Tick, Boom and Boho Days was. It was this kind of like this cathartic kind of practice, ritualistic thing where he was going, this isn't for anyone but me, my friends, the people that we've lost, the people that we're losing, the people that are sick and lonely. Um, and, and for artists that have been told no over and over and over and over again. And this is my attempt to, to respond to the no, <laughs> to the rejection, to the failure. This is my, if any producers want to come into that door and watch this show, you are family. I'm not playing for the the culture. I'm not, I'm not playing for the industry. I'm not playing to get this on Broadway. I'm playing it because I just have to play it. And I think that's what he had to do for himself and for, you know, his own giftedness and for his community, especially those that were being affected by AIDS. So I feel like it, it, it became this kind of uh, ritual. And that was very, very important for me to kind of capture in his performance. And it was, yeah, fighting, singing, playing for his life and for the lives of everyone around him, literally in terms of his friends with, with, with HIV, but also more metaphorically and spiritually in terms of he was fighting for the soul of the artist to not be defeated by commercial interests or material interests um, or to be commodified. So I think it was a real kind of, uh, uh, a, a kind of attempt to get underneath all of his own egoic desires in a way to let, to let his ego kind of break publicly so that he could get down into his real creativity, his real, the soul of his creativity, writing about what he knows, which obviously leads, it's the bridge that leads to his opus, his ultimate like last piece, which was rent. Um, and without this very sacred ritual, this very personal ritual of tick, tick, boom, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have rent. Yeah, your answer is really capturing so much of the emotional intensity that the film captures in just, I think it's about a week of time that the film chronicles in, in Jonathan's life. How did you, uh, with uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who directed the piece, how did you both kind of tackle the um, emotional intensity of the piece? And also as an actor, just kind of come to set prepared and to pace yourself through you know, some really big uh, moments in Jonathan's life and and just prepare yourself to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny, like, it, well, a lot of things that led to us being able to just be very, very present on set <clears throat> and be overtaken, basically. Allow, allow the, the muses and whatever creativity wanted to happen that day to happen. And I think, you know, obviously Lynn has been preparing for this since he was, since he saw Tick, Tick, Boom and had his own personal kind of revelatory freak out, realizing what he had to do with his life um, and walking out of a downtown theater after seeing a production of Tick, Tick and, you know, kind of, you know, being totally disturbed by it and realizing that his life was over because <laughs> he had to devote it to, writing the next great American musical, which he did. Um, and so, that, so obviously he's been prepping for this for a long time. And then 
in terms of a kind of a nearer past, you know, he set up a, a situation where we were, we were rehearsing it like a play. And I had a year, I had a year since finishing angels in America, at least a year, over a year, a year and a half to, to immerse myself in John and his life, his music, his, his, his friendships, his romances, and to really just kind of dip myself into that, that stew. And to the point where I think, again, we were able to wake up every morning and be haunted by John. Like that was always the, that was always the, the, the North star. And I remember saying to Lynn after I saw the first cut, I was so moved by it. And I just said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for honoring John in this way and for, and for, and for honoring the work of the actors. Cause you know, he's such a, he loves, he loves everyone. He loves his actors. He really takes, he took care of the actors in the edits so much. And I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And he said, well, no offense. I'm glad you like, you feel good, but no offense, but I had bigger fish to fry. I didn't want to be haunted by the ghost of Jonathan Larson for the rest of my life. <laughs> and that really was the guiding, the guiding light of, of, of every morning of every day. And it's, it's exhausting. Like it is exhausting. Like Jonathan is exhausting. <laughs> you know, are you, you're exhausted watching him spin through this film, like bursting <clears throat> at the seams, like his head bursting, his heart bursting. And, you know, there was a line in the original Tick, Tick, Boom, which they had to cut after he passed away because it felt insensitive at, the, at that time. And the line was, sometimes I feel like my heart is going to explode. And that's very, very symbolically perfect in terms of who John seemed to be. Um, and ultimately, his heart did explode. Like he, he died of a heart, he died of an aortic aneurysm. So there was some weird, strange knowing that he had about the shortness of his life. And um, maybe in an unconscious way, I would, I would say, I find that very, very interesting. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, th those were the things that we, re we were really being driven by. And we kind of let John run, run amok. We, we let him off the leash and he kind of told us how to, how to do it. Um, and we, we kind of followed. That was kind of it. And an emotional climax of the movie is why performed at the Delacorte theater. Uh, could you talk about the emotional journey of that song and your own experience playing it to the 1800 empty seats at the Delacorte during the pandemic while live theater was completely shut down? Well, you know, we actually shot that before we shot that at the end of the first week of shooting, mm. which was pre pandemic. Um, and, uh, and that was kind of interesting. The, the, the stuff that we shot, we shot the rest post-pandemic, including the New York Theater Workshop stuff. So playing <clears throat> Tick, Tick, Boom, the one-man show of Tick, Tick, Boom in the New York Theater Workshop to a, you know, a, a, a very small audience of extras and crew was very, very profound while all the theater was shut down. But why, that song, Why, in the Delacorte in the middle of the night was definitely one of the more profound experiences I've had on any set because the song, the monologue, the song, whatever you want to call it, the moment, the kind of, um, the, again, a ritual, it's the most profound journey one can go on in, in, in the space of four minutes from facing death and choosing life, basically. Um, that's how I interpreted it. 
in the sense of, you know, in this, it's, and it's hard to talk about because it's so mysterious because what John is going through is meeting a very, meeting an impossible moment that he doesn't want to meet. And only by diving down into the wound of that moment of the potentiality of losing, you know, the close, arguably one of the, the closest person, the person he loves the most in his life, one of them anyway, his best friend, Michael, by facing the, that reality, which is the reality he's been running from all the way through this, the story up until now, of course he has to face it at the piano. The, the piano is, is, what, is the instrument that enables him to travel down into the depths of himself. And what he finds there is images for it, it, it just it's mysterious what happens and it's all spontaneous it's all he's singing he's singing the images as they come to him it's it's happening to him the song is happening to him so that's obviously very hard to play a song that is ostensibly being improvised spontaneously and found in the moment in order to move through his darkest night of the soul to come through and he, and, and he doesn't know where it's leading at any given moment. So to play that of course is, 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 is a fascinating challenge, but yeah, you kind of stick with the images and you allow the images to, to take you where they want to take you. You know, when I was nine, Michael and I, we, 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 ent we entered a talent show at the YMCA and, and, and we, you know, he couldn't sit for whatever reason, this image is coming and I'm going to sing about it and I'm going to remember it. And it's, it's, I don't know why this image is coming. Why is this image coming? Oh, that was the moment where I realized like what I wanted to do with my life. That was the moment where I understood how great life could feel. Oh, and I, and I remember making a promise to myself that this is how I was going to spend my time. How much time does my friend have? How much time do I have? And then another image comes and it's, oh my God, wait. And then we, this was the other most important part of our relationship when we did West Side Story in, 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 in high school. I guess this is coming because why is this coming? I made a vow and I carried on the vow. And now <laughs> I'm wondering, am I, am I able to, is it worth me carrying on? the thing that I thought I was meant to do in light of the fact that, you know, is it the most important thing for me to be doing while my friend is dying and all of my friends are dying and I'm just singing songs. I'm sat at a piano singing songs. And, and that brings me to this moment and what's, where are we now? And it's, Oh, I'm still doing what I'm doing, but my friend is making his money elsewhere. And, and in the process of that final kind of, um, the, the, that uh, that over and over and over and over and over and 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 Lynn and Alex Lackamore added in extra overs and overs and overs and overs for that moment for some mysterious ritualistic reason which leads to you know that finishing the hat thing of the sundime thing which is and I wake up after after ha sitting at the piano at nine nine, 9 a.m. I wake up after a thousand overs and overs and overs. And it's five o'clock and I have to go to the diner. And then I'm flooded with, oh, this is the only way I can spend my time. And I think in that moment, he starts to connect. 
I don't have a choice about how I spend my time. And actually, how I spend my time has to be connected to, 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 to my friend. Like the, whatever I create at the piano, whatever I create has to be about healing his heart, healing his woundedness, healing the woundedness of my community. And I think in that moment, he he, he, it's the beginning of rent. It's the beginning of tick, tick, boom. It's the beginning of rent. And it's the beginning of him using his giftedness to heal his people, to heal himself. And I think he realizes in that moment, oh, I'm definitely going to do what I've got to do, but I've actually got to do it even more fuller to the hilt. And I don't have to, I, it's not about, you know, superbia and, and trying to like critique society in a way that is kind of didactic. It's actually about the heart. It's actually about the soul. And it's actually about saving lives through art and, and really addressing the agony that my friend, friend is in through my art. And, uh, it's a beautiful place that he, that he gets to that I, that I got to find my way. And it was the second take and we all felt it. And it was, it was the, it was the we, we, we sang the song live three times on three close-ups and the second, and we started with the, I said to Lynn, I was like, start with the close-up because, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows where this is going to go? And it needs to feel alive. And I don't know where this is going to go. And obviously the first take was the first pancake and it was a bit of a mess and it wasn't perfect. And the second take wasn't perfect, but it was definitely, it got to the depths of that place and the journey felt very, very clear. And that's what he ultimately used in the film. And it felt like, oh, thank God, like we have something sacred here and we have something that Jonathan would 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 feel good about. And Julie was there and she was feeling really good about it and really moved by it. And anyway, it's a long answer, but it's an impossible question to answer short in a short manner. So but no, it's a I love that song and I'm so glad that we got to do it live. And we I'm so glad that we got to do it in that sacred way. And they had, they had the recording clean enough to use. So that was really, really cool. Uh, Andrew, we want to congratulate you, not just on Tick, Tick, Boom, but also your physically transformative performance in the eyes of Tammy Faye as Jim Baker. Um, congrats on both roles. And thanks so much for talking to, to Denton and I in Gold Derby. Thank you, guys. For all things Hollywood competition and award season, head to goldderby.com. Follow us on social media at Gold Derby. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.